remember the last time you had a bowl of prunes? And how after the prunes were all gone, you drank that sweet, good-tasting juice? Well, that's what this is. Only better. You know how you have to use up the whole coffee bean to release all that good coffee taste? Well, we use up practically the whole prune to make prune juice. And just like coffee, we let prunes brew a while till their juice is rich, full of flavor. Mm. A lot of flavor in that glass. A lot of quick energy, too. And look. See? It takes just that long for you to pour yourself a good day. Prune juice. You really ought to try it. Brewed from the prunes of California. To your help. Eventually Super Train, episode 87. Hey everyone, this is Daniel Budnick. Daniel R. Budnick. Danny Budnick. Dan Budnick. Call me Danny B. No, call me Dan. How are you? I hope you're doing all right out there. This is uh, this is going out in June 2020. I hope you're listening to this a little bit past that time and, and things are wonderful. Things ain't so hot right now as I'm recording this. And uh, we're keeping our head above water by talking about short-lived TV shows. Eventually, Super Train, the short-lived TV show podcast. We cover short-lived TV shows um, that never got enough love. Show at a time, one episode at a time. Well, three at a time. But what? Is, uh, you'll hear it when you listen to it. And eventually, we will cover Super Train. I still have the discs standing by. So, what are we doing? What's going on? Hey, in this episode, my good friend Tim S. Turner, or Tst, as I call him, and myself are discussing episode two of the early 80s uh, Rex Stout Nero Wolf show with Lee Horsley as Archie and Wim Conrad as Mr. Nero Wolf. And then I'm uh, going to be, I'm, I'm, De- I'm December, like 19th, I think, 1985. Where were you? Where was I? I was 12. And very much looking forward to Christmas. And December 19th, 1985 for episode 6 of Shadow Chasers. The Many Lives of Jonathan, I believe? I forget. Death on the Doorstep, I think, is the narrow wolf. Don't quote me on that. Um, And then we're going to conclude the episode with the great Majel Hadley, author, raconteur, bon vivant, myself discussing episode 37 can you believe it june of 1960 so we're hopping from the first half of the 80s back to 1960 for interrupted wedding episode 37 of bourbon street beat so let us now go to the early 80s um most of you were probably watching the dukes of hazard when this episode aired it's your call whether or not what we're going to talk about is better than the dukes of hazard episode but listen to this
Greg Stout's Nero Wolf. This episode aired January 23rd, 1981. Second episode, Death on the Doorstep, directed by George McGowan. Teleplayed by Stephen Downing. Um, portions of it use the element... Um, portions of it use the novel The Doorbell Rang, which the TV movie we talked about in the minisode also used. The very basics of this one is that a friend of Archie's from college shows up on the doorstep of Wolf's house and is immediately shot by a sniper from across the street. Archie reassembles with um, two of his other friends from college and the wife of the guy who got shot, and they're all well off doing business, this, that, and the other, and the wife is now running the husband's business, and they're all doing great. But there's something strange going on, and it might involve the mob and all kinds of other stuff happening. And and um, someone uh, one day someone takes a bunch of shots at the three of the guys when they're together. So someone is a is definitely out to get that one guy, but possibly out to kill them all. And who could it be? And what's going on? And we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Uh, hop to the other side of this music. Tim and I are there. Death on the doorstep. Death on the door. Death on the doorstep not the world's best title um uh but uh this is the second episode of uh nero wolf and uh you you heard what it's all about and um yeah there's a lot a lot going on in this episode more than i expected would go on in the episode when the episode began um before i talk anymore i would like to introduce the person sitting right here it's mr tim turner tim how are you sir greetings Archie. <laughs> Uh, it's uh, I'm good. Doing, I'm doing good. Um, I uh, I th- I think we're gonna dive right in. I I've got no time to to goof around. I got to get up to the orchid room. I don't have an orchid room. I have a garage. I don't know. Uh, you know, with a lot of crap in it. No, I I'm sure. I I would love an orchid room. Actually, wouldn't that be fun? So okay, okay. So here's what we're gonna do. Tim, tell me what did you think? You personally, death on the doorstep thoughts. Okay. Well, we know that this is supposedly based on the doorbell rang which we which was actually also adapted into that thayer david film that we discussed uh boy they really just don't use any of it (laughs) in this uh except for i think maybe one or two sequences but overall the plot is completely different with a completely different killer um I, i i find this one to be kind of a drop in quality from the first one uh, I, it, it was kind of dull. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not a big Tim Thomerson fan, and and to me, he, he's he's just kind of blah, and so is the rest of the cast. Although, Irene Miracle, who's in this uh, as Mandy Sullivan, uh, you know, I this is the first time I'd seen her in anything outside of Dario Argento's Inferno. And I, where I, by the way, I thought she was just absolutely stunning in that film. And she's just as beautiful here. But I did not recognize her until I saw the credits. I was like, oh, my God, that's her. But I, I do think that they, it, it's, they, they took so much liberty with the original story. And I understand that when you have a novel and you're compressing it into 45 minutes, uh, you know, you're going to jettison a lot of material, but this is basically a completely new story. And, and frankly, not that interesting of a one to me. I, I, I gotta agree with you on that one. I, I found it, it, it starts off with a really weird scene where someone hires 
a, uh, uh, an assassin to shoot someone on the doorstep of Nero Wolf and Archie Goodwin, which seems like, and, and one of Archie's best friends from college, which seems like a bad idea immediately. And even even yeah. Wolf says it at the end. You know, I, I forget what exactly he says, but he says um, something like, "Ooh, what, when when he catches the killer, he's like, and shooting him down on my step doorstep was a very bad call indeed." And so it's 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 weird because <laughs> I almost wonder if it's like they had a door the doorbell rang, and then the guy who wrote it, Stephen Downing, I believe, had like another script that wasn't Wolf related at all. And they kind of just crammed them together because the the yeah. the sort of football buddies, one of them dies and there's a very limited, try as they might, there's a very limited realm of suspects. So limited, in fact, that... Yeah, that, like yeah, So limited <laughs> that when they actually bring in the, the bits that they take from Doorbell Rang, um, and I, I won't go too much into that but it's 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 to do with the fbi sort of bugging the house and that kind of thing and if you're familiar with the doorbell rang um um you'll know what that is it's it, it's funny because you you sort of follow archie investigating the the death of this guy and, and and wolf talking to them and then this stuff about someone bugging the house comes up and for like 15 minutes or so of an episode that's only what 48 minutes 49 minutes it kind of like i i almost forgot that the football, the guy who got killed, and and what was going on there, and the the thing with doorbell rang is that doorbell rang begins with, I'm being followed by the FBI, and then gradually becomes about a murder, but it's still about the FBI thing. Whereas this is, there's been a murder, and they learn more and more about why this guy may have been murdered, and then all of a sudden they throw in this stuff from the book, that kind of like clogs up the center of the episode, but isn't. It's it's not terribly sort of I don't I, I don't know if well thought out is the way to describe it. It it takes away from the murder mystery, which wasn't terribly interesting, but it's not terribly interesting here because it doesn't have sort of the um in the in the doorbell rang in the novel and in the Thayer David thing and, and it, the Thayer David film sorry the Thayer, it's a Thayer David thing it's the Thayer David film and and the um, the Maury Chaikin uh, uh, Tim Hutton one the the sequence I'm I'm speaking of with with the FBI uh, that they more or less recreate here sort of um, is is about halfway into it so we've been going for maybe fifty fifty five minutes here it's it's what like twenty five thirty minutes into it and it's almost it almost happens so i don't i don't know that i'm giving much away but they they trick the guys who are bugging them into doing something that they shouldn't be doing and in doorbell rang itself it's rather elaborate and it's kind of like zoink we gotcha in here it's almost like when it when it <laughs> when it happens it's almost like oh that's from the book i didn't quite it's kind of a bit underplayed or low key or or so, something is off when they're doing it, it's almost like I, I I hate to say it because this this is um this is this is a line I've used uh, several times in my in in my books and in reviews and but it almost has that feel of like maybe like Stephen Downing came up with this idea and they said well we need you to adapt this book and he's like okay I got it and he went and got like the Cliff Notes version of it or or like had a friend tell him what the book was about it was like oh okay. <laughs> I'll take that, and I'll take that, and I'll take that. You know, but he missed pertinent points 
like it and I I don't kind of want to give it away because it's kind of interesting to see like what they kind of get wrong in it and uh and they kind of there there's a whole sort of I, I guess what kind of instigates the third act or or uh, not that not that the the book has acts but kind of the final segments of that don't involve the murder of um the doorbell rang is is what they kind of adapt but they kind of cram it into a short space and put like the murder on either side of it so it's 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 weird it's it's almost like something where it's um you know uh, like it's almost i was gonna this is a strange choice of movie but like santa and the ice cream bunny there's there's a great movie from the early seventies called oh, Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny, and Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny <laughs> begins with twenty minutes of Santa's sled stuck in the 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 uh, the sand somewhere <laughs> on a beach in Florida, and, oh, and, and like yeah. everyone every kid in Florida tries to get him out of the sand. I think they bring a gorilla at one point, and then right at the point where you're thinking, how can this go yep. on any longer? Santa tells a story, which is actually an entire Barry Mahon film, uh, Thumbelina. Uh, which I actually quite like, I, I find quite charming, mm-hmm. but it goes on for about 70 minutes, and then suddenly you go back to Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny, <laughs> yeah. and you get the solution to that, and you're like, oh, wait, huh, what's going on? I'm not saying this is like that quite, but it has that sort of thing where it starts off with the murder mystery, and you're following that, and someone is trying to, uh, you know, it looks like he's trying to ki- kill the guy, uh, Archie and his friends, too, and then all of a sudden it becomes, we've been bugged, and and for this large chunk of the episode, they seem to forget the murder mystery. And then they come back to it right at the end for the reveal. Um, I'm not going to say which I find more interesting, uh, Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny, or this episode of Nero Wolf. I'll let you decide on that. But, Tim, what else do you have on this one? <laughs> well, I I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I do like it better than Santa and the Ice Cream Bunny, I can tell you that. <laughs> That's an endurance test. I, I okay. I, I do want to ask yeah. you uh, now. In, in in the doorbell rang, you've got the FBI, and you've got the mob, right? Uh, and you've got uh, you know Kramer, and the police force. In this, you have uh, dirty cops mm-hmm. instead of the FBI. Now, we are we are revealed almost immediately that inspector Allison is the rogue cop. Why they drop that. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have like a little confrontation, you know, in the office with Wolf, with, with, with Kramer and Allison, but there's never any indication given that he's going to be punished. Yes. Yeah. For his part in it. It's just like, wait a minute, what happened to him? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a strange it's it's tricky it's it's one of those episodes where after a time and and it just occurred to me in the in the doorbell ring itself i don't think there's much mob stuff i think it's mainly fbi and cops but i have to double check mm. that this one throws in the mobs it, it throws in i mean literally by the time you get to the middle of the episode and the house is bugged and this one guy's dead and the mob is there and the cops are there and they're dirty cops and da-da. it's literally like they've thrown in a novel's worth of stuff, but don't really kind of know how to handle it. Like, like suddenly someone's like, this is too much. There's too much happening. Oh my God. Oh no. I put in too much. And, <laughs> and it's, 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 
it's 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 weird because like I said, doorbell rang begins with the FBI and goes into the murder. This this goes the other route, and I don't think like the the murder mystery to me is something that like like Jessica Fletcher wouldn't have you know raised the sweat you know it's like Simon and Simon would have taken care of it like that you know it, it's sort of the murder is hell even Rip died <laughs> exactly you know it's it's like like the mystery is I mean could that be could could it be like maybe the guy turned in the script and they were like Stephen we can all tell who the killer is on like page 10 wolf is supposed to be a genius there's nothing genius about this and they were like well why don't we throw in all this other crap to confuse people so by time we get back to those original characters nobody remembers them and then you cast tim thomerson who everyone recognizes whether they mean to or not and you're like oh okay i'm not saying anything i'm not saying <laughs> anything there bill yeah i i, <laughs> I, I think that you're right about it. it. It really does feel like a hodgepodge, and they they literally waste I I would say 15 minutes on the bug yes. thing. And the the the, the 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 mystery plot is completely derailed for about a third of the episode, mm-hmm. with them going into the whole rigmarole with with the who who bugged mm-hmm. us, how did that happen, and then of course you know he's got the the meeting that he meets with Kramer in that, you know, the hotel. And, uh, and really I, I would go so far as to say that Tim Thomerson and, uh, Stephen Parr, who are our main suspects, um, they must only appear in like three scenes, right? <laughs> uh, one, two, pretty much yes, three, maybe four, maybe four, but yeah, yeah. They just, they kind of appear kind of, uh, you, you learn who they are, what's going on. And then, the bug thing starts up and then suddenly it's the ending. Yeah. I, I did a complete scene by scene breakdown. <laughs> so there's 19 scenes and I think they're in four. Wow. wow. <laughs> you know, so by the time, honestly, by the time you get to the ending, when you have, you know, uh, Nero Wolf, it, it really does the same kind of Agatha Christie formula mm-hmm. of the, the, the drawing room mystery with gathering the suspects yeah. in his parlor at the end. And here, let me tell you what you've done wrong, what you've yes. done wrong, what you've done wrong, but you're the killer over here. <laughs> and they do that, and you kind of watch it, and you're like, okay, yeah, okay, we know, okay, he's gone, we yes. know he's out, okay. And, and, and doesn't, forgive me, does, <laughs> they, doesn't the scene begin, like, with, right at the very beginning, uh, like, one of the two or three suspects says something like, at the very beginning, so, uh, Mr. Wolf, when did you stop thinking of me as a suspect? And, and Nero immediately tells him. He's like, wait a minute, don't do that right at the beginning. No, because we only think it's this guy, this guy, well, or maybe... And, and I don't remember Nero ever eliminating him in the yeah, first place. I, I don't remember it either. I don't remember it either. Yeah, it's, I it's, know. It, almost, it almost seems like that was included just to get the actual killer to say, you know, well, that's when you eliminated me, or whatever it is he says. And it was like, no, no, I haven't. Yeah, with the drive-by shooting. And, yeah, yeah, and it's like, oh, but... Dun-dun. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's... It's 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 weird because I I just think and this is the third and this is the final time I'll say it, I think if they were basing off a doorbell rang they got the, they got the structure of it wrong they did it the wrong way around they had a a basic because in the doorbell rang the murder mystery isn't the most elaborate thing but it's part of this much more elaborate thing but here they throw in the elaborate stuff after the murder mystery begins and it just feels like clutter. 
It feels like they didn't have enough to. It feels like I'll, I'll stop it. Maybe like Stephen Downing mis misheard someone and wrote a half hour episode, and he turned it in like th three <laughs> days before they were supposed to do a read through or something. He's like, "Hey man, you know this is supposed to be an hour." Oh crap! What? That's not that's not the telegram I got. <laughs> And so, so he has to, and they threw the book at him. And so, I, I don't mean they threw the book at him. They threw the doorbell rang at him. And, you know, it was like, add some of this. And he said, okay. Hey, there's good stuff hey, in here. Stuff. I'm going to take some of this stuff, <laughs> oh, this stuff here and this stuff here. Just to flesh it out. Flesh out the middle. Because you already have the beginning and the end. Flesh out the middle. See, what I would think, I, it come, for me, it comes off like it feels like a two-hour episode that they cut an hour out of. Oh, yeah. Because it jumps around so much. Mm. And it, it, there's so many things that feel like that are mentioned that you feel like, wait a minute, we didn't see that. Yes. Just like like I was saying, uh, when the one when the guy's like, oh, when did you eliminate me? What? Yeah. You, we never saw yeah. that. Um, and it, it's it's just it's very clumsy. Mm. It, it feels like um, like it was written by committee. Yeah. Um, almost like uh, you know, like you know, like round robin writing yes. where okay, I wrote the first five pages. Now you pick it yeah. up. And you write the next yeah. five, and and it doesn't make for interesting television. Unfortunately, it, <laughs> unfortunately, it doesn't. I by by time, by time it gets about halfway through the bug thing. I find myself the the only thing that kept me paying attention was to see where they were going with this part of it. And then when I saw where they were going, I thought, okay, it's not that great. And then when they got to like you said, the the Agatha Christie style um, denouement. Or the ending. Well, I guess the climax. Um, it's sort of like, uh, okay, yeah. And I, I want to say, and I wish I'd written a note on it, but when, when the, um, when the you find out who did it, sort of like in the previous episode where that person kind of explains why they did it, mixed in with what Wolf is saying, and then they have a revelation. In this one, however. I, I wish I'd taken a note on this because I could be wrong, but I feel like the person who did it talks for like five minutes and just goes on and on. And I could be, I could, yes. okay, all right, all right. Yes. They just go on to the point where you're like, I don't think Wolf cared that much. You know, he, he got the, you, you said, you said you did it. Now go, 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 go. It's not my job. Go, go, go. Yeah, I, I, the the killer, like I said, we're not revealing who the killer is here, but the actor who is the killer I don't know if they changed their facial expression at all in this scene. <laughs> it, it is the most um, underacted, bland, kind of ho-hum, like, eh, yeah, yeah, so I, I, I did this, and then I did it because, you know, well, all right, then, I got to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, 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 it's, it's bizarre. You're absolutely right for, for what should be the, the big climactic excitement. It's just... It just kind of happens, and then it's over. They put more um, verve into the final sequence where they're eating dinner. And and even that, they say the word satisfactory yes. maybe one too many times. The thing is, when, when Wolf says satisfactory, it's not a catchphrase. You know, it's not elementary, my dear Watson, which, which you know, obviously, yes. you know, or, or, you know, the things we think are, it's not Geronimo or something like that. It's not, it's not a catchphrase. It's just something he says, like, Archie, <laughs> have you taken care of this? Satisfactory. And he goes back to what he's doing. It's not, it's not, you know, you, you didn't see like in the, you know, the summer of 82, kids weren't wearing satisfactory t-shirts or, you know, like uh, hats that said satisfactory. <laughs> on them but they're, they're, they're uh, Nero Wolf and <laughs> Archie Goodwin action Yeah, figures. it's like I threw away my Who Shot JR shirt. Comes with now I got the Satisfactory shirt. Yeah. 
the color, color I got my color forms, my Nero Wolf color forms. I move him from the orchid room to the desk, to the orchid room, to the dining room. Yeah, the the, the Fritz figure comes with, with two different faces of disappointment and anger. Yes. yes. Um. So so I I guess um I I, I guess. I, I see this a lot with with TV shows in general, but but short-lived TV shows it it, it hurts a little more because there's so uh, such a small number of episodes. But I see a lot of times the second episode just not being as good as the first one. This one, not not for not right. for lack of throwing in everything, but the kitchen sink, um, and that's probably in there too. No, you, I don't think we go in the kitchen really in this one, um, but. Yeah, in this one, yeah, it's not. It's not for like a trying. It's just for. It's just a garbled kind of. And I am surprised. I mean, I'm wondering if the name Stephen Downing is actually like a pen name for like ten guys or something. We're Stephen Downing, and then ten guys. Oh, like W. Hermano. Yes, exactly. Yeah, maybe it's something like that. I don't know. But you would think for a second episode, this this is kind of. um, I could see if you tuned into the first one, going, okay, this is promise, and then you watch the second one and think, what was that? I don't think they. I don't think they understand at all what it is they're yeah. trying to do. Eh. So, so do you have anything else on this one? Like I said, the last episode, uh, the Golden Spiders, but had such a wonderful cast with with some yes. really uh, fun uh, character faces. This one does not. It it's is weird, isn't it? Uh, probably just you know contract players that they brought in. Um, no real names. Uh, other than Tim Thomerson, and it's not like he's like his huge name, a big marquee name. Uh, and Irene Miracle, I mean, I, I don't think anybody outside of you know genre fans really know who she is. Uh, I, I have to say, that I did love the scene where Archie gets the the guy uh, who's the go between between the cops and the assassin. Uh, I think his name's Keller. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. And uh, he he tackles him in this hotel in the lobby, mm-hmm. and there's this guy yes. who's the I guess the 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 manager sitting behind this screen, and, and he's reading a uh, an Italian porn magazine mm-hmm. called Sabor. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and he never looks up from the magazine once, despite the the uh, the destruction yes. going on in yes. his lobby, uh, fist flying. And Archie says, "Sorry if we disturbed you." <laughs> that, that, <laughs> he doesn't even look up for that. That either. is, but it's it's and it's a very the the cover is you'll forgive me very cheeky if you know what I mean. And it's yeah, it's, yes. it's, it's, yes, it's, it's a fun it, that 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 was a fun scene, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm gonna look at. It was great. Uh, yeah. Oh, um, the uh, the opening scene where the guy is shot on the doorstep takes place on April third, nineteen eighty one, which was a Friday. Boom, take that down. And um, but I think <laughs> I think that's all. That's all I have for this one. Yeah, there's it's it's a weird episode where it's stuff like there's a lot of stuff about the mob and vending machines and sports equipment or whatever the heck the one guy did and a lot of just stuff like bring me all your accounts receivables and all your things and all your stuff and it doesn't none of it goes anywhere. It's just like it's just like all this stuff piles up and then it ends with this kind of limp scene at the end and and then it and then it ends with dinner. So, eh. I think a big problem with the episode two is it literally opens with Barney, who is 
uh, Archie's friend getting shot as soon as he opens the door. We never see Barney's face. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> at all. Yes. And if they really wanted to make the episode have some weight, because we see that Archie's upset. Mm-hmm. He's genuinely upset. And, and, and Nero Wolf is actually, you know, you could, he's actually showing some empathy, mm-hmm. you know, because Kramer comes barging in, you know, like, oh, what about the shooting on your doorstep? And he's kind of like, you know, show some class. His friend just got yes. killed, basically. Yeah. Um, if they had had maybe a scene before that where Archie just met up with him for lunch, mm-hmm. And you could see this real friendship between the two and then have him come and visit yes. him and get shot on the yeah. doorstep. Then it would have had a lot more weight. And the way it's shot, who is that guy? I don't know. That's that's true. That's that's actually a, an interesting thing, too, because during the scenes with the, the wife, the widowed wife and the two friends and Archie, they talk about him and talk about him and talk about him, but you can't picture him because you haven't seen him. So you're like no, and you, and it's, so it's it's such a it's such a weird thing because you know it would be one thing if he were some sort of strange character who no one had seen before, but this is a guy they can't stop talking about, and they don't let you see his face, so it's really tough to sort of yes. empathize or frankly care because it, it, again it's 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 an interesting episode that a lot of things are misjudged in the episode i think probably possibly from beginning to end and now you know it's and and you can probably sit down and watch it and enjoy it as long as you're not paying too much attention but then of course i was you know this was this was the time period well this was a was this a few months before police squad when police squad was canceled because the network execs said, well, you have to pay attention. Yeah. Yeah, I think 82. Right. So, and, and so there, there could be a thing. Yeah, I think so, there, yes. There could be a thing where it's like, um, we, you know, we can make it overcomplicated and it's, people aren't going to pay attention. As long as there's a closing scene where Wolf catches a killer, everyone's going to go, oh, that made sense and watch whatever's next. You know, or maybe it was like, you know, maybe if someone switches over from Dukes of Hazard. You know, on a commercial, we should have something exciting going on. Well, maybe they forgot it with this episode, but um, that's a theory I have for later ones. How about that? (laughs) Yeah, you know, honestly, with this episode, if you just took the little character bits with Nero Wolf and Archie and Fritz in in the brownstone and their little little scenes, that's really entertaining. Yeah. It, it's a lot of fun. I really, really love Fritz mm-hmm. in this. I, I think they did a, a, a great job of giving him, you know, his little comic moments without going over the top. Yes. With it. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. And and it, and and sometimes in the novel, some of the best bits are the the little interstitial uh, bits with them just sort of hanging out and chatting with one another. You know, discussing finances, discussing meals, um, and yeah, it's um. Gosh, I, I wish it were a better episode. I mean, it's kind of fascinating for how I don't goofball isn't the word, but it's kind of fascinating for how sort of strange it is. Um, but I, I don't know that doesn't make it good, though. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I guess do you have anything else on this one, Tim? If not, where can we find you online? Uh, yeah, you know, I I, I think other than uh, once again, I love Irene Moran. Sure, sure, sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> just a, a just a 
beautiful woman. Yeah. And if you've ever seen Inferno, she's stunning yes, in that yes. film. And uh, you you might become as obsessed as I am. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I uh, I co-host Beauty, the Beast, and the Bees with the wonderful Kelly Hogaboom. Um, we discuss genre film and B films. And uh, we're on, uh, you know, iTunes or is it Apple Podcasts oh, now yeah, yeah. and SoundCloud. And, uh, you know, we have Facebook page and Twitter feed and Instagram. And you can read our ramblings and, you know, what we're going to talk about on the next episode. We actually just recorded. Um, we reviewed the new theatrical Fantasy Island. Oh, wow. And uh, Ninja 3, The Domination. Yes. And... Yeah, I knew you'd like that one. And um, the absolutely bizarre Polish mermaid musical lure. So that's what you have to look forward to on our next episode. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I I just rewatched Ninja 3 uh, about a week before we're recording this. Great times, great times. Lucinda Dickey at her, You're a lucky man. Lucinda Dickey at her finest and Sam Furstenberg kicking ass, as always, in the uh, action department. That's right. Um <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so thank you again for joining me. And next up, we have... I just want to see what the, the next episode is. Before I Die. Oh, boy. Um, and and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully what that means is that we'll actually maybe see the face of the person who gets killed so we can, you know, imagine them in our... In yeah. Our, um, and you, you would have thought... And then I'll, I'll wrap it up. You would have thought maybe they would have done a flashback, like, or something in it. But it seems like... No, no, we yeah, absolutely. We, we, no, we got we got to fit in fifteen minutes of this silly bug segment that doesn't yeah whatever. Okay, so that's death on the doorstep, everyone. Look, look uh, to to misquote Groucho Marx, they can't all be good. You've got to expect that sometimes. So uh, before I die, I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. And uh, next up, we've got this. Hey, what's up, baby? Nothing's up. It's nobody here but us monkeys. <laughs> Many Lives of Jonathan, written by Richard Manning and Hans Beimler, Beimler, B-E-I-M-L-E-R, directed by Cliff Bowl. Uh, This episode originally aired December 19th, 1985, and they do mention, in the closing credits, David Hartman mentions that tomorrow on um, uh, Good Morning America, Steven Spielberg will be on, and also Julia Child fixing a holiday treat for everyone. Whoa, and apparently on Nightline... They deregulated the airports or airplanes or air people, air companies and things. And mm, are there going to be safety problems? 
that's the end. This is the beginning. This is the many lives of Jonathan. The episode begins with a you're on a construction site for a building, an old abandoned building. It used to be a hotel, sort of one of those live-in sort of hotels where you get all sorts of colorful characters living in the place. And it had, a few years before, there was a fire, and a bunch of people were killed in it. And now there's a construction crew there kind of taking it apart, emptying it out, and they're going to blow it up, you know, in that classic style, you know, it it explodes on the bottom floors, and the whole thing kind of drops sort of thing. You, you've seen the classic stuff. You've seen Sledgehammer, the pilot episode where he blows up the building with the, um, the rocket launcher. So they're going to do that, but apparently there are a few issues uh, we see the foreman, who's very annoying. Uh, he's very much refuses to believe anything he sees or hears uh, because he's trying to get the place torn down. And then there's another guy who's like, "Would you see that, boss? I didn't see anything." But but like one of the pieces of heavy uh, earth moving equipment comes to life and starts starts rolling around, destroying stuff. And then the next day, we're at Georgetown, and Jonathan is taking part in some sort of experiment. Some sort of doctor has hooked him up to a machine. It's putting like. I don't know, I forget what it is, like electric blasts or some sort of beams or something into his mind to get him to relive old memories that uh, long past, this, that, and the other. And Jonathan sees his dad, you know, the the, um, the prize winner, Nobel Prize winner, uh, reading him a book when he's like four or five years old. And um, so Jonathan's really excited about that. And this guy's shooting particle beams into his head or whatever. Then he runs into Benedict and Dr. Morehouse. And Dr. Morehouse says, go to this building. It's a it's an old abandoned building that's resisting its own destruction. So the guys go there, try to talk to the foreman. They get thrown out. The other guy who has been accused of, of drinking says, yeah, something weird's going on. Voices and uh, strange things are happening and equipment's coming to life, this, that, and the other thing. So the two guys, Benny and Jonathan, break into the place and they're in there. And Jonathan is behind a counter, uh, the, the like the desk, uh, you know, desk. Uh, front desk and suddenly he pretends acting like the desk clerk or the an employee and benedict is very impressed and jonathan leads him up to uh the um, room of a boxer and once they get into the boxer's room and benny starts to look at some of the boxer's stuff like there's a headline an old burnt newspaper with a headline about the boxer on the ground uh, jonathan comes in behind him and begins to act even weirder that he was just acting you know, personally, I think that we ought to talk to that Miller kid again. Maybe get him alone. He's really going to be our best witness for all of this. Who are you? What are you doing in my place? Where's my kid? Careful with the jacket. Come on. Come on. That's true. A question. A quick question. Come on now. Come on. Let's just check this place out and get out of here. That's true. A question. I haven't been there one in 15 years, but you're about to make me change my mind. Hey, pal, come on, the joke's over. You want to fill the punch of one with the title? Punch, title? What are you kidding me? You're the guy who thinks that boxers are violent barbarians. Come on. Barbarian? You're calling the barbarian. I'm I got it. Big Al Gibson. Two-time light heavyweight champion? I'm a big fan of yours. There's no problem here. Personally, I thought you got robbed in your last fight. You saw that fight? Yeah, yeah. Could have had him, and you should have too. You're possessed, aren't you? That's what's going on here. Jonathan McKenzie. Can you hear me? McKenzie. Who, Jonathan McKenzie? Did I fight him? You are possessed. 
So it looks like Jonathan's been possessed. Yeah, and whenever the, the fire comes up, the guy goes a little crazy and tries. They try to go and talk to his kid, and Jonathan becomes the kid in, in, in the, the boxer's kid in the bed. And then Jonathan becomes a Russian guy. He becomes an old lady. He becomes this strange actor. He, be, he just keeps changing. When he goes from room to room, place to place, he takes on the personages, the personality of the person there getting possessed again and again and again. Benny calls an exorcist. He knows the exorcist can't come in, but the exorcist sends a lady who um, Benny meets in the uh, in the hallway, and she, she shows up all dressed in black. But I hope you can make a guess from what she says and what Benny says right here. Um, when she takes the black robe off, she's not nude. When she takes the black robe off, what sort of outfit she's wearing underneath? Listen to this. Hi, I'm Angela Taylor. Reverend Wilkes sent me. He's sorry, but the case he's working on is taking longer than expected. So he paged me. Great. Let me fill you in here. You frightened me coming down the hallway like that. Uh, my friend Jonathan is being possessed and repossessed by the inhabitants of the hotel who died in the fire here. Multiple possessions can be tricky. You no sooner toss out one spirit than another one pops in. You really have to get to the root of the problem. Yeah, well, this place is really weird. Do you suppose there could be some sort of unresolved thing with the fire? It's possible. May I speak with the subject? You can try. Follow me. He's catching a tan out here on the balcony. Whoa, you got one hour to cure him. If not, you and I are on the red eye to Vegas and we are married in the morning. These are my work clothes. Hold on. Somebody must have gotten their wires crossed here. I said I needed an exorcism, not exercise. I do both, Mr. Benedict. I'm a fully certified aerobic exorcist. By the way, I do accept cash, all major credit cards, and personal checks with proper ID. Shall we? Oh, I like you. They call me Benny. Benny. So her and Benny go to talk to Jonathan, who's um, goes from being this Russian guy to being an older lady who takes a shine to Benny, and then but they kind of you know ask him her you know hey tell us about the fire tell us about the fire and she goes mad and rushes up some steps Benny's buried under some rubble the um, aerobics uh, exorcist there is able to get Jonathan off of the ledge um, through some aerobics related excitement. Forget the dress! Up! 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 To the side! And check your hands! 
And so as Jonathan keeps getting possessed and she's trying to break him out of it, we get closer and closer to the building about to be exploded. And we get closer and closer to how the fire started, why the fire started, and what's going on, and who's that strange man wandering the hallways. And I'll just kind of end it there. I don't particularly want to go, I guess I guess I can spoil it. Um, but let's not spoil it right away. Let, let's go to, um, what do I think of the episode? Um, it's a weird one because the premise I like, I like the concept of the hotel that's ostensibly um, resisting its destruction so it can mate met, met, meet out some justice sorry something just fell in my closet it was very it was very tricky um that's a little scary um uh, deal out some justice to someone who who the person who caused the fire and killed all these innocent people i like the concept of that uh, i like the concept of um, the, just the place itself, the setting itself, this old abandoned hotel with all these sort of ghosts in it. And I like the concept of Jonathan getting taken over again and again from room to room and sort of gradually piecing together what's going on. Um, where the episode is let down a bit, or maybe a lot. It's weird, I've never find it, found it a very satisfying episode. It's okay. Uh, it's got its moments. Um, I think the ending is good. I think um, some of the some of Jonathan's possession moments are good. A few of them, not so much. I, and I think that's one of the tricky things. And I think just the the aerobics exorcist is. I guess that that's sort of a tricky thing. If they had just brought her in as an exorcist, then maybe she did some exercise. But she's a full on in in the aerobics dress with her big blonde hair up and the leotard thingy and and just full-on shiny you know mid-80s aerobic stuff and making jonathan do the aerobics and it's i see what they're trying to do it's a comedy they're trying to bring the laughs um i i don't mean to sound rude but this is this is one of those this is one of those things where i think as i was actually watching it as a 12 year old i thought "Ooh, this seems kind of like out of date already or something like that the aerobics exorcist the exercising exorcist whatever you know it's um it's a it's it's, it's something that like i don't know if this were a zucker abrams zucker film or mel brooks film, or, or maybe like weird al's uh uh uhf you know, a commercial for the aerobics exorcist, and you just saw a brief clip of this woman show up in this robe, and there's like a Reagan-esque, you know, Linda Blair saying awful things, head spinning around, and then all of a sudden she says, I can get you out of this through the power of exercise, and she throws off her robe, and, starts, and one, and two, and then it cuts to like them, him on the, her on the ground with like, like the, the possessed young girl, going, and one, and two, and the possessed girl's going, and one, and two, and three, that would be funny, it would go on for about 30, 40 seconds, and then it would be over, this the aerobics scene goes on for what seems like an eternity and the aerobics exorcist joke goes on i think for a very long time and is 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 more amusing to think about and to say than it is to actually watch now the actress is fine the actress does does her best um but the tricky the tricky thing is that we'll learn in the end spoiler that jonathan technically i guess kind of isn't possessed so there's nothing she can do there's nothing to exercise exorcise um so so it's a weird thing where it's like the episode's kind of going along okay and and jonathan's yeah i i think like i said i've said before that you know i really like the actor trevor eve um and he's at his best when he's 
he's playing Jonathan. He's playing the kind of um, stick in the mud, kind of um, posh kind of guy, trying to live up to his dad and being confused by Benedict and getting involved in these adventures. But whenever they have him do something other than that, Colonel Cluck Cluck, or do that nah, 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 nah thing he did in the previous episode, it always borders on uncomfortable to embarrassing. His desk clerk is fine. The Russian guy is okay. Uh, the boxer is too much him doing Stallone, and it's just like, no, 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 no. The kid is okay. The old lady is fine until she goes hysterical. Then just kind of the long shot of him running down the hall shaking because the woman, the, her hands are shaking. Running down the hall, going, is is funny. But I don't think funny in the way they meant it to be. Um, and then his, his, his Neville, his actor guy, is okay. And then the final guy he does that kind of seals the, the story is okay, too. But it's just, it's so variable that it's like, oh, gosh, okay. Um, it's like I said, with the old lady, he really pulls it off until he has to go crazy. Then the moment he goes hysterical, it just looks goofy. And it's, it's just so so variable. You never quite know what's going to happen next, whatever character he's going to take on or whatever. And that that's too bad because the concept is fun. And I would say two-thirds of the time he nails it. It's that third of the time he doesn't nails it. Doesn't nails it? It's that third of the time he doesn't nail it that kind of sticks in the mind. And then when he's the hysterical old lady with the aerobics exorcist, the calm in that scene is actually Benny, who's trapped under some rubble talking to rats. So there you go. I think Cliff Cliff Bowl um, is a good director. He's um, as I I've mentioned him before on the show. He's uh, Bad Blood, the um, the great vampire season five Vince Gilligan written season five X Files episode. So he's a good director. He knows his business, and the hotel does look really cool. The sets for the hotel and everything look really cool. I just. I just think it, it really feels like like the script that these guys wrote may have been for a different kind of show. And then at the last minute, they were like, uh, we need more gags. We need jokes. Um, okay, well, how about an aerobics exorcist? <laughs> no, but somehow it got in there anyways. And and so, so it's weird. It's weird because it, if this were a more serious show, I think it would have been a better episode. But because it's got the comedy thing when they throw in the comedy it just gets in the way of the episode and some of the suspense is a little off like just the way like okay you know the explosives are plugged in and the warning signal goes off but then someone un- undoes the explosives and then someone comes home and fixes the explosives and then and then it blows up right on cue for when it's supposed to blow up there's no there's no sort of there's no real countdown or anything. Things just kind of happen in that realm as they happen. And like during the big final scene, we get the revelations about what happened in Jonathan, sort of his final possessed character. That seems is a good scene, but it seems to go on for a very long time, much longer than it should for what's supposed to be happening. And it's just, it all it feels slightly off. And then, and then they give an explanation for what's going on, and yes, indeed, it does involve the particle beams or whatever they, sh- they shot at Jonathan's head at the beginning, which kind of... Uh, I don't know. I mean, just just let him have the possess- Let him be possessed. I, I have no idea why they did that. So, okay, let's spoil it. So, yeah, Jonathan goes through all this, and the last person he becomes is someone who is involved in a robbery, 
and was involved in the fire. And the other person who escaped from the fire is there to get something and seizes this. Jonathan pretended to be, well, possessed by his brother. And they argue. And the dad is played by, and the dad, the, the guy is played by Mary Hartman's dad. I forget the actor's name, but you know him. Um, uh, and so it's kind of got a, it's, it's, um, it's a fun it's it's a fun sort of ending to it but then they do this thing where this professor this doctor professor comes in and says oh you know i've canceled the experiment because people who were getting particle beams zapped into them were were just doing all sorts of weird things like uh uh one guy played an entire piece by chopin even though he'd never touched the piano before you know someone else broke out into dancing even though they never danced before that kind of thing so it's something oh that's where it came from which doesn't really i guess i guess makes i i don't know if that makes sense i don't know it was um and benny points out benny points out that okay yeah maybe that particle beam had something to do with what what you did in there all those possessions but how did you know there were some things it's like when he's talking to the guy the the, the guy the brother the brothers are talking he's got things in there it's like you remember when you were nine and we did this and you remember when i had to drive you home from the prom and we're like how would you know that you know some other stuff about the boxer and the fire you might have been able to glean from newspaper clippings and things but but how would you have known that and it's true how would he have known that and i um i just think that's a bad ending uh for this i think it's a bad idea to um to leave it like that it should have just been how did you do that i don't know and maybe maybe imply that maybe he has some sort of power or gift or something like that but but bringing that particle beam whatever the hell it was ending is is to me a big shrug and kind of negates much of the episode especially when you find out stuff like all the mechanical doodads that went crazy like the machines moving on their own and stuff were all done by this guy the brother he like well he learned how to get underneath the machinery and turn it on there it's like oh really so so pretty much none of it was supernatural at all except for the bit that was and it's kind of like that negates the whole fun of the episode for me i mean i like the fact that that he wandered in there and got possessed by all these random people who wanted to him to to get justice for them instead according to the explanation it's just he got zapped with some particle beams his, his brain went a little wonky and he started pretending to be these characters maybe that's why some of me is not very good at i don't know but i i didn't like the ending of it it's fun like like i said i i think my favorite part of this episode is benny i think benny's a lot of fun in this he's running around and trying to save the day doing this that and the other thing getting surprised by the uh aerobics exorcist and, and stuff and going around as jonathan's possessed but the rest of the episode goes from pretty good to just kind of eh. and it to me it feels longer than it should which is unfortunate again I don't think it's a bad episode, and your mileage will vary, I think, on it, by how much you like watching Jonathan do all these characters. I was um, okay on them, but like I said, the, the problem is that there are these guys outside who are like, okay, we're going to blow this building up today, but whenever they sort of get in, Jonathan breaks into the character and they start talking, it, it seems like all other time slows down, and there, I think there needs to be more suspense and pace. There should have been more of a push to that and benny's trying to keep it going but it's it doesn't really work now um do i do i hate the episode no 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 in no way shape or form uh do i hate the episode is it my favorite no no it's it's not my favorite is it better than last week's parts unknown um in some ways it's better um 
gosh. It's funny with Shadow Chasers is that um, I know that I love the show, but at this point, having looked at the first six, I love the pilot. Spirit of St. Louis is okay. Uh, Amazing Grace in the Hospital definitely has its moments, but I think it's got a strange sort of, its climax is off. Uh, the middle of somewhere, the first half is great, but then once you learn where they are, it just becomes a kind of okay. Parts Unknown is uneven, and this one is uneven. Um, again, too, this there weren't really shows like this, sort of supernatural, comedy-esque shows at that time. So it really is trying to find its footing in, a, in, a, in a, almost an unknown place in, in some respects. And so... Um, I give it I give it props for for continuing to do so uh, and let us I, I, I guess that's kind of it I hate to um yeah I, I kind of hate to uh, to kind of uh, gab on um, sort of uh, too much more about it um, uh, yeah if you like the show so far I think you'll like this I'm sorry I spoiled it Um they're trying. They really are. I just think. I just think sort of the tone or something was off. They should have left out the comedy, or they should have gone for full-on comedy. They just the the tone is off, and it doesn't. It doesn't improve when the lady takes her robe off and she's dressed in full aerobics gear. It's more of a, huh? What? The, it. That's kind of one of those moments that if I was watching this with someone else now, they'd give me a look, and it would be one of those like looks like. Does he know how? odd or goofy or how kind of dumb that is so hey i understand so this is um this is the sixth episode of the show uh pilot spirit of st louis amazing grace middle summer parts of no main life of jonathan we have three more that will air on the network and then the remaining four were aired on armed forces network so we only have three more left and the show is obviously in the toilet rating wise i think it's like what was it 105 Hundred, yep, hundred and six out of the, out of the hundred and six shows on the networks, in the nineteen eighty five eighty six season, Shadow Chasers was one hundred and six, and the fact that someone actually recorded all of them, is pretty astounding. So that was um, now the aerobics exorcist lady. She is lovely. I'm, I won't I won't put that down. But Benny's a good looking guy too, and so is Jonathan. So everyone's looking good. It's just I um. I, I think I would have had a talk with whoever came up with that aerobics exorcist idea and maybe put it in a more pertinent script because I just don't I don't really think she works here. Anyway, so having said that, okay, 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 okay. that was Shadow Chasers episode six, and um, now we are going to go on to a little bit of this. <laughs> into a delicious diet meal with this new Metrical Fresh Milkshake. Metrical Shake comes in an envelope. Its crystals are flavor-charged. Flavor is locked in. Add cold, fresh milk, and it explodes with flavor. Rich, deep flavor. It's the newest, most delicious way to have a complete breakfast or lunch with all the protein of a meal like this but only 225 calories. Just try it and you'll love the way you feel, the beautiful way you look. You'll love that great new Metrical feeling. New Metrical Shake for fabulous flavors from Metrical. The good one. Bourbon Street Beat. Bourbon Street Beat. 
Starring Richard Long. In New Orleans. Andrew Duggan. This is the blues. With Arlene Howell and Van Williams. Produced by Warner Brothers. Burpa Street Beat, episode 37, Interrupted Wedding, June 20th, 1960. This one's directed by William J. Hall Jr. I think he'll be our man for the rest of the series. Teleplayed by Laszlo Gorog and W. Hermanos. Story by Laszlo Gorog. In this one, uh, Rex has been invited to a wedding. He's the best man at the wedding. Uh, Ray's there about to get going. A uh, the uh, organist receives a note saying there's a bomb in the place. Get out. Everyone clears out. Rex joins the bomb squad. They go back in. They find a bomb, an actual bomb, dynamite and such, underneath the uh, the pew uh, right where the father of the bride was sitting. Uh, they get the bride and groom married, set them off on a cruise ship, and they're gone. And a detective who used to work with... Um, uh, with Cal shows up and she is from I think her name is Betty Jane Robinson the color BJ it's from Dallas I believe and she shows up because the guy I want to say his name is John Crane is the dad but I could be wrong there but the, basically the, the father of the bride is from Dallas too and um, she's there um, and to hear and Rex start working on finding out who this mad bomber might be and, and uh, Mr. Crane the, the, the father of the bride there shows up and talks to Rex and, and, and BJ and basically says that he has a trucking company. I know what you're thinking. Trucking company, BJ, does this guy have a chimp? No. I think I'll say that again, actually, during the thing. So bear with me. Bear with me. Uh, and he, this guy says, I have a trucking company. I started from one truck and now it's huge and I'm a wealthy man and all this. And, um, you know, and he, he, he said he, he doesn't know who could have done this, but he thinks it might have something to do with when he first started off. He was in an accident. He says it wasn't his fault where he hit a car that had a family. And mom and dad were killed and the two two sons um, live on. And he thinks it might have something to do with them. Soon after that, someone takes a shot at him. And they eventually track down a guy that Rex saw at the, uh, the crime scene who's missing a, a bit of a finger who may or may not have something to do with the bombing and may may or may not have a twin brother and they may or may not be hoarders. I'll get, I guess I'll leave it at that. They may or may not have another bomb planted somewhere. So so BJ and, and, um, and Rex go to this backlot house to try to investigate and find out who wants to kill Truckin' John, if that's his name. So that is the basics of Interrupted Wedding. Let me give you a blast. And Mitchell and I are on the other side. <laughs> Interrupted Wedding, episode thirty-seven. Holy heck! The second we're in the second half of June, nineteen sixty. Like I, I said in the in the plot breakdown, and uh, before I introduce uh, my guest uh, host, uh, I, I just want to say, fingers crossed, the the sets that we're watching these episodes on are um, you know fan prepared sets. And um, sometimes you get a fan-prepared set. I, I'm putting all these in quotes, fan-prepared sets, and they, in quotes, stink to high heaven. 
and they they you have all kinds of problems watching them and you can't you know you 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 may be able to watch them once maybe the second time they won't work or you, they they skip and they jump and you can't get to where the menu says it's supposed to go so far whoever prepared these bourbon street beat sets has done a great job i'm 37 episodes in i don't think i have had a single issue with an episode have you mr mitchell hadley guest host was this a surprise was anyone surprised that it was mitchell Mike, no, I'm kidding, of course. But but Mitchell, how are you? And have you had any trouble with um with? The well, I, I'm I'm surprised to be here, but uh, here <laughs> I am anyway. Uh, <laughs> no, I I have had no uh, no trouble whatsoever. I have uh, these discs have sailed through. In fact. Uh, were I not aware that they were disks, I would simply assume that they had been beamed off of some satellite somewhere. And uh, even though they were 60 years light, they are coming right into my home right now. Yeah, they do. They do look really nice, which I'm uh, I'm happy mm-hmm. about. I'm happy about because, say, like maybe Shadow Chasers, I'm not watching the best quality um uh, episodes of things. Of course, the Shadow Chasers were all taped off of the air from original 85, 86 recordings by people who probably had no concept that, you know, however many years later, someone, some jackass like me would want to watch them again. So they, you know, they probably weren't, you know, going too crazy, you know, with the, um, you know, keeping sort of the stewardship. Is that the right word of the, uh, of the, of the tapes or no, what, what? but yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, so um, so in this one we get uh, uh, interrupt a wedding. We get uh, we get a wedding. We get a long bomb squad disposal sequence. We get a lot of. I've never said his name out loud. Is it Whit Bissell? Is that is that how you say his name? Yes, yes, okay. it is. Well, mm-hmm. I've never never said his name out loud. And today's a red letter day. And so so let's um, and we get some great like uh, a great uh, hoarding set, which I really which I really enjoyed. But uh-huh. uh, Mitchell, oh, yes. <laughs> Mitchell, what did you think of Interrupted Wedding? Well, I think that this is another Hermanos episode. And uh, for those of you who've been with us through uh, the uh, through the the weeks, uh, you briefly, you know, W. Hermanos is a uh, is a uh, a fake name. There is no such person. That's to cover these episodes that have been adapted from other shows or movies. Because right now there's a writer strike going on, and so in order to keep the scripts coming, they are going to alternative sources. And I think what we see here is sort of like what we have been seeing the last several weeks that rather than the show being written for the characters we are seeing the characters being shoehorned into the show and maybe shoehorned is too strong a word but uh, uh, this is an episode it's fun. It's good. I'm not. I, I. I don't want anybody to uh, think otherwise, and I don't want to get off on the wrong track here. But this could have been even better, I think, because it has a lot of the trademarks that we saw early in the run of uh, of the show. We have a very eccentric family involved. We have kind of this gothic like 
house uh, with with the, the the collecting that you mentioned, and um, so we've got we've got a weird situation, but it doesn't explicitly come across with that southern tinge that we saw so often in the beginning i remember talking about how uh the the city of new orleans really was a character in this series at first that even though it was being uh, shot on a set that you had the feeling the atmosphere was there the elements were there and you don't see that as much now and again i think it's because you're dealing with something that uh was already written and so i think that this was is an example of something that could have been even better than it was now having said that this is a one of the few episodes i think in the entire history of the show where we just have rex there is no appearance from any other regular uh no kenny no cal it's just rex in this episode and um rex uh, is confronted with a um tricky situation he's he anytime your best man what you really want is a um a groom who keeps saying now you're sure you got the ring now you're sure you got the ring uh in this case we've got somebody saying to rex now you've got to find the bomb that's a little bit different than what what we're accustomed to. So Rex gets gets a phone call, gets a phone call, and 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 I'm said warning him from it's from a friend. It's not from the bomber, but it's a, from a friend saying, I I have this tip that or this hunch that something bad is going to happen. Or and um, all I can think of is that given Rex's proclivity for um, being lighthearted, not quick to panic. Um, I hope he's taking this seriously because we don't know. Um, since, since the bride and the groom are both characters we've never seen before and will never seen again, there's no reason why one or both of them couldn't be killed in the opening five minutes. It'd be a heck of a way to start the episode. So there is some real uncertainty there and we're just hoping that Rex will actually take this seriously. But, as as the as the story develops we meet these characters we uh get a get you know it's it's somewhat predictable at times but it does take a couple of twists that you're not necessarily um expecting and um i think that uh well, I think uh, let's. What do you have on this? Uh, enough of me uh, uh, rumbling on. What's your What's your thought? I what What you said is 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 more more or less my my basic thought is that I think it's a pretty darn entertaining episode. However, is it a great mm-hmm. Bourbon Street beat? Not really. Is it Is it a great sort of detective show that uses a lot of the Warner Brothers backlot? Yep. Th- this was the first one where I specifically was like, because I've been on the Warner Brothers studio backlot well back in the day quite often and there were moments where i was like oh i recognize that street oh look at that little town square i know where that is oh look at that i i don't think i've done that in the previous episodes maybe there's Hmm. been a swampy set or something where i was like oh i think i know where that is but but in here it's like 
I, I don't specifically recognize the church, but there's a moment when they like you see the street, the other side of the street of the church, where I was like, oh, that looks familiar. And there are a couple spots where I was like, oh, I recognize that, uh, which, which to me takes it out of New Orleans and and makes it um, sort of any generic kind of show. Um, any town and, USA, yeah. And I mean, I, I guess at the end of the day, you know, it's it's sort of like like Las Vegas. You think of Las Vegas, you know, my, my you know, I instantly think of like the Night Stalker and the Las Vegas Strip and all kinds of you know, you know, kind of stuff. But you know, there's actual like suburbs and people live there and they're not all in the so so there are places in Vegas that probably look exactly say like this. Whereas New Orleans, I imagine, is the same thing. You know, if we go through the spot where the absinthe house is, it's like, this is New Orleans. And then six blocks away, it probably looks like every town USA. I don't know for certain. But um, so so it's not it's not terrible that, you know, this, this is a couple getting married in a, like a suburban church. And, you know, why couldn't it look like that? It's just I wish it kind of didn't. Um, and, and there's yeah, a, I, and the, I think, think you ex, you expect you expect New Orleans in this show. Yes. You you don't you don't want realism. You want the stereotypical New Orleans. Yes, yes. And to the fact that they have a show called Seventy Seven Sunset Strip, which is set in L.A., which uses you know Warner mm-hmm. Brothers, lots of things to you know simulate L.A., which it is, um, is is ends up being sort of. Nah, um, and there's a weird thing too, where you know I like the detective they bring in. I forget her name. I just wrote down BJ because that's what he kept calling her. And Betty Jane. Betty, yes. Yeah. And the um and uh, and there there's a moment too where the uh, the guy who was going to get bombed. Well, I don't mean get loaded, like get drunk. The the guy who was going to get blown up. <laughs> he um he it's great. No, I wouldn't blame him if he did. Get drunk. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, there are times. There are times, folks. Trust me. Um, uh, but th- there's a moment where like he's t- telling a story about how he has a trucking company and he um uh he was driving his first truck and and Rex is calling the woman BJ and all I kept thinking of was BJ and the bear. And, and so um, <laughs> maybe Glenn A. Larson was watching this as a slightly younger person and, and was just like, hmm, BJ at trucking? Hmm, I like that. Yeah. Um, um, uh, but I, I, I think, Note to self. Yes, yes, check into that. Um, when I do my Glenn A. Larson time travel story where I see where he gets up all his ideas <laughs> from, mainly I think from other TV shows but uh, or movies, but um, – uh, sorry, Glenn. Uh, yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, the episode I think has a has a nice pace. It moves along. It um, it 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 does what it needs to do. And once you get inside that great house, that set with the house that's oh, filled with all the yes. newspaper and all the junk, that is great. I love that set. When they just the way they have these like little spots where it's like you round a corner and they have like a bit of newspaper that you can just pull out and all of a sudden this whole stack falls on top of you. I like the sort of um, not Rube Goldberg, but but almost sort of uh, style stuff you can do when you just yank on a stack of newspaper. Um, and so well, it's it, almost yeah, like a maze. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and just the fact that when they they get in the room in the end, we we won't go too crazy on that. But like they get in a room and they're kind of uh, and 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 uh, uh, Rex and Beach are trapped in there, and they're like, uh, "Where's the window? There must be a window here somewhere." And you know, no one knows where the window is because there's so much <laughs> crap piled up in the room. I, I I think I think you're right though. This at at this point, if if you didn't watch the show for say the first thirty episodes 
and you you caught the run of it near the end, I think you'd be entertained. You'd have, you'd have a good time. Whit Bissell is certainly strange, and I think uh, yeah. the the uh, the story, like I said, the story moves along decently, and there's enough stuff going on, and you will be entertained. But if you know the show from the beginning, I actually put on the other day just for fun. I put on the first episode again, and that thing is so like lathered. Uh. In in um and and it occurs to me too like all these episodes at the end here are based upon episodes of other things. The first episode was based on a novel about ostensibly not about Bourbon Street Beat that they adapted into Bourbon Street Beat. No W Hermanos involved yeah. though. So, um, but yeah, I mean it's <laughs> uh, I if if you have to if if you hit the W Hermanos realm of this show and you you can't it it just feels wrong to you. This one will probably also feel wrong, but it's entertaining enough to, I think, um, warrant a viewing. And and I it didn't I didn't come away. And this is the one I will continue to mention that awful boys reformatory episode. It wasn't like that where you just want to yell at the screen. <laughs> this one was pretty straightforward. I mean, th- there there are a couple things in it. Um, like I like the bomb disposal sequence. I couldn't tell yes. whether it goes on too long or not just because i don't have a lot of experience with bomb disposal sequences it, it, it felt like it more or less went along long enough for me but I, I like the kind of way that it starts off like a wedding and then it takes seven or eight minutes with this bomb disposal thing and it's it's like it's it's got an interesting sort of pace and structure to it um that I, that i like but but I do miss Cal and Kenny, and I won't go to any other characters that you know I miss terribly. But you know, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, but <laughs> what else? What else do you have about this one? Which I think I got a well, bunch more. Um, the um, you're right. Whit Bissell uh, he does the work of two men in this, uh, literally in this episode. Um, I don't think that it's spoiling anything because it comes up at a reasonable time in the episode. He plays twin brothers, and it, at first you're not sure if he's being honest with Rex and uh, BJ or not when 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 he is uh, talking about, uh, you know, it's my brother who's doing this, and does he have a split personality? What's the story? But you find out that he is uh, he's two different brothers and they are both very scarred by something that happened to them when they were young that plays into this whole revenge story and um i think that uh he does a very fine job giving each brother a somewhat distinctive personality yes. from the other and i um randy stewart who is the actress playing betty jane robinson the other detective the friend of rex's who tipped him off that the that something was going to happen she's she's good in this too she's got spunk and <laughs> and uh one of the things which which actually reminds me one of the things about this episode that i find interesting is that it is such a time capsule for the period um, one of the ways that we see that is the way that Rex is either being very gallant or very condescending, yes. depending on your viewpoint. Yes. Um, he continually wants her to stay out of danger, but it's kind of the this is men's work 
type of attitude. Now, is he is he dissing her? I don't think so, because I think he does respect her ability. It's it's more that that's just the way things were. But if you're not able to get your hands around that, you might find that a bit grating. Even I found it a little a little <laughs> yeah, a annoying from time to time. <clears throat> but that is that that I, I will say I think is fairly consistent for the way Rex would look at a situation like that because I think, think he is a gallant gentleman at heart, and so that's going to be his attitude. But that's something you will not see in a show that is set in contemporary times unless they're trying to make a point. Uh, something else that I found uh, interesting is that um, you've got. Um, the 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 uh, mention that you made of uh, of one of the participants talking about when he was uh, just starting out as a truck driver, <clears throat> and he uh, talks about having been in an accident, and for years and years he had tried to find out who it was that uh, had been the other party to the accident, and I'm thinking to myself. Um, this is, again, it would take you maybe a half an hour to find that out today on the Internet. You'd just be clicking away at things, and you'd find all of this out. I'm not, I'm not saying this to try to make a plot point, but it is, again, something that I have, have uh, written about in my own writing about how the um, advent of certain forms of technology forces us to take a completely different look at plotting yeah. shows than it used to, and this is one situation where, although it isn't terribly integral to the plot, it's just another example of how things are different today than they were back then. Um, I think that um, you've also got a great thing in this. Uh, you've got a guy with one finger, <laughs> and uh, you know that's always fun when you yeah. notice somebody missing a digit, but. Very early on, uh, in fact, what happens is Rex notices a man with one finger, which becomes a clue when they're trying to find out who the bomber is. Now, in fact, the man with one finger is congratulating the bomb uh, disposal crew for the excellent work they did in finding the bomb in the church. And Rex remembers the guy only has uh, part, part of one finger. And and I'm thinking to myself, hello, Rex, did it occur to you that perhaps the reason he's missing part of a finger is because he blew it off? Now, <laughs> that isn't the case. That isn't the case at all. But we don't know that mm -hmm. at this point in the show. We don't know that he didn't lose his finger because he's a mad bomber. And so it it seems as if Rex would not, not only have noticed that he was missing a digit, but he would have been instantly become suspicious. Mm. Okay, I just helped remove a bomb from a church. Here's a guy standing outside talking to the bomb disposal unit who's missing a finger. Mm. Mm. And who's, who's maybe, not, part of the, maybe. Not, not part of the wedding party at all, as far as he knows. So it's like he just stopped exactly. by to as, watch as, them uh, take out a bomb. Yeah, well, you never know, you know, if, if you uh, go out for a walk in the morning and you think, yeah, yeah, I don't know what I might run across. Maybe I'll <laughs> see a, a bomb disposal unit working someplace. Who knows? It's, uh, I know that I, occasionally I have that thought, but um, 
The uh, <laughs> what else? One other thing that I, I find amusing is that the uh, the police contact in this episode is uh, Lieutenant Gerard, played by James Chandler, and I I always get the feeling when I see him in this series, I'm thinking. What the hell are you doing here in New Orleans? Why aren't you out there looking for Richard Kimball? And then, of course, I remember, well, Kimball hasn't uh, hasn't escaped yet. Mm-hmm. This is still four years before Kimball. He and his wife are still living happily yes. in, Mar- in Indiana. So. <laughs> and Kimball's, Kimball started small with, like, the uh, one man missing one finger and then just went from yes. there. Went up to a man missing an entire arm, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but but um and the 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 other thing i was wondering am i the only person who tell me i'm not the only person okay, okay. who looks at that house with all you looking at the house with all the newspapers uh-huh. and because there's no electricity uh, they light a lantern and i'm yeah. thinking to myself again a house full of newspapers and a lantern what could possibly go wrong <laughs> yes yeah, these boys are very careful, very careful. Mm-hmm. And they, they do mention, well, we can't afford utilities, but someone might be able to afford lots of sticks of dynamite. I don't know what dynamite goes for, but you'd think you'd find a way to put that towards getting lights in your house rather than Yeah, it, well, it, tell, it tells me that you really don't care about the uh, luminosity of where you live. You're looking for a light of a different kind altogether. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we've, you know, we've had a lot of of fun. I think talking about this episode for the, for the nitpicking we may be doing. I think you have it right that this is it's a fun episode for all of that. And I think I'd like to think that when the way we're batting some of these things around, we're having fun doing it. Yeah. And uh, and mm-hmm. um, this episode is as you suggested. This might not have made you a Bourbon Street Beat fan, but you pro if this was all you knew of it, you would have at least thought it was a pleasant way to spend an hour. I would have loved to have seen, although I, I don't think they would have. I don't think they would have done this then. Although they, might, oh yeah, I'm watching the shot right now where they pull up to the house, the Bissell estate, and all I can think when they pull up to the estate <laughs> is like. Yeah, what thirteen thirteen? What lane? Where are we? What's what's what's? It's it's not quite it's not quite the house, but that's exactly what you think of when you pull up because it's a really lovely back lot filled with all you know the facades of houses. But then this one has a bit of like with a touch here and there. It could go it could go Psycho House. It could go Mockingbird Lane. Who knows? Um. Uh, and oh 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 it was what was I oh it, I I I would have I would have been very interested if if they did this during the bomb sequence and this is actually what I thought was going to happen because as everyone is outside waiting for the bomb squad and they show up and the guys um enlist Rex to help because Rex used to do this back in Korea um which is how we ended up at the mash unit you guys remember that wouldn't that have been great if no uh well it might have been <laughs> Yeah, it's been a hilarious episode. He could have solved crimes at the MASH unit for like seasons four and five of MASH or something like that. Um, like he was in 77 wow. Sunset Strip. He could, have, he could have wound up on MASH. That's right. Um, everyone's out of the place and the bomb squad is showing up and they're putting on their, their outfits, um, which looks like they, it would protect like their chest and their legs, but their head would just go flying off the moment the bomb went off. But I, then I don't understand. Heads yeah. in the 60s <laughs> were made different, I guess. Um, uh, those, those guys back, especially that one guy, the main guy, 
the mate who I know from lots of stuff, but for the life of me, can't remember his name. Um, the the white haired guy who runs who's in charge. Um, yes, I, I, I don't remember I, the name of his character. So I, I if if the bomb were to explode, I don't think his head would go anywhere. I think that thing's built to last, or it would be something like where it would retract like a turtle back into that suit and then it would pop back up again <laughs> after the bomb went off. <laughs> Anyway, and by the have, way, did you notice, yeah. too, that one of the members of that unit was a very, very young Gary Conway, who oh, will yes. uh, go on to be uh, Amos Burke's uh, sidekick in Burke's Law? Yes, yes, yeah. I said to, A wonderful yeah, both, show, yeah, for those yeah. of you who haven't seen it. I do have a point, this story I'm telling you. Oh, yes, it is that one of the things they focus on, and they're doing it for suspense. I, I don't think that they're not doing it for the reason I think they are. I think, which is that as everyone's outside, the priest is inside grabbing the Bible, grabbing some stuff, you know, grabbing um, important stuff uh, just in case the bomb does go off. And eventually, like, the cop has to go in and say, oh, come, come on, come on, uh, uh, Dr. Powers, I think is his name. Come on, Dr. P. We, we got to get out of here. You know, okay, and he's grabbing the Bible. He's doing, like, um, Steve Martin leaving the house in the jerk. I just want this. I just want this, the chair, and I'll be happy. I just want the, I want the Bible. I want the candlesticks. I want this. And I thought, wouldn't it have been neat, but it never would have happened, um, if the priest and the cop leave and the bomb squad comes in and you see them for like five minutes looking and looking and they can't find it. They can't find it. They're getting close and they seem to be even closer and they can't find it. And after a few minutes, they kind of stand up and think, where is this bomb? And then the moment they say that, there's a huge explosion from outside the church. And the bomb was hidden in one of the oh. things that the priest took out of the church. I oh, that, that would have been, been great. Wouldn't that have been neat? Because that would have completely shifted everything. Because now it would have been, it would have gone from, um, it, it would have gone from what it was, a, one crazy guy trying to kill one guy. Um, now he would have hurt a lot of other people in the church, but that was his plan, to accidentally killing like a ton of of pe- like out on the street kind of thing. It would have been a, and cops yes. and everything too. So so I I um I for a split second I thought is that going to happen? And then I thought nah they'll probably find the bomb and they did. It it became more of a um almost like a here's the way we defuse bombs kind of scene like a not not a quite a Mission Impossible type thing but you know kind of a um almost a tutorial on here's what we do which isn't bad but uh, but that's kind of what it no. became. No, it uh, that was the nice thing about the start of it is because because Rex is the only regular in the episode, uh, it's wide open. What's going to happen? Yes, you can have it go any direction that W. Hermanos wants it to go in. <laughs> Thank you, W. Thank you, W. H. Mr. Hermanos, <laughs> and 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 the 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 one other the one other spot. And I I won't give too much away about this, but there's a spot where. Um, you know, because you got um, obviously if they're twins, and we mentioned that one of them is missing a f- uh, finger, um, but the, one of the twins has glasses, and there's a scene where glasses get switched, and I thought a reveal of what happened was going to involve the fact that the person who had to wear glasses now isn't wearing them and can't see where they're going, but that never happened, unless they were fake glasses. That would have been a good. Well. Uh, well, it's you know it's an interesting it's a, it it is it, it is an example though of how this um, story doesn't always take the direction you think it will go in. Yes, 
Yes. Because you're right. You're right. That would have been an easy but clever way to go. But as it turns out, that doesn't have anything to do with it other than how you tell the two twins apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. What, what else do you have on this? I, I honestly, I could probably talk another ten or fifteen, twenty minutes on it, but I don't. I don't want to go. I don't want to go crazy here, we, because then we'll start to. I think I'm starting to wander into uh, too close to the ending here, which we don't like to do. Um, <laughs> but that house, well, that I, house. I think I've pretty much covered everything. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Me, I'm gonna. I'm gonna scan my notes one more time, and um, uh, I I do like there is a moment. Um, uh, no, I, I think that would be spoiling something involving a cop saying, I just wanted him to stop or something like that. And Rex is replying, but I, I, won't, say, I won't say what that is. Famous last um, words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's, there, there isn't, there is another moment that I don't know if it's meant to be like a, something that Rex, well, because, because there's a moment where they're trying to find a clue to, uh, whether or not the mad bomber there has another bomb in the house. And they're talking with the brother, and or, and and it's sort of like, and they're in a room, and it's there, and this is this is the point where they're looking for windows, trying to get out, but the um the the resident of the house is like, well, aren't you going to look for clues? And as Rex is sort of scrabbling up this huge pile of newspapers, behind him there's a big box marked dynamite, and I thought that's probably not filled with the magazine <laughs> from the '70s that we all loved. That's probably no. filled with dynamite. No. That, that's that could be a clue. That there is some dynamite here, but I don't know. Um, so I, I think I think um, in the I'll just give my final thoughts. Out. Yeah, I, th- I think in the end uh, it's a fun episode. Uh, I know this was um, uh, originally written by Laszlo Gorog, who wrote a lot of like Playhouse stuff. Yes. He also wrote like uh, I think he wrote the Mole People, like Earth versus the Spider. Uh, so he wrote some really great stuff. And but a lot of Playhouse things like that, and I did look through some of the Playhouse like plot descriptions to see if I could find anything similar to this, and again I came up short, and there were only so many of them I could look at, and um, but uh, oh yeah overall um, it's uh, yeah I'll, I'll I'll just repeat what we said is it a Bourbon Street Beat episode? Not really. Is it a fun episode, hour long episode of sort of detective y shoot 'em up television? Although the big moment when um when um the guy, the truck driving guy is revealing what's going on to Rex, uh Rex doesn't actually do anything. He just sits there and the guy tells him everything. And I think maybe even ask Rex to not interrupt him at one point if I'm thinking of the right thing. So it's sort of like Rex doesn't do a whole lot of detective work. And he even there's a weird moment where Rex um uh, uh BJ is from Dallas which is where the trucker guy is from and his daughter's getting married in New Orleans. And there's a moment where the trucker guy leaves and says, I'm, I'm staying at the hotel Elsinore. Okay. If we need you, we'll call you. And then two scenes later, um, Rex is like, what hotel did he say he was staying at? And BJ says the Elsinore. It's Oh yes. I thought, now why would she remember that? She doesn't live there. Wouldn't, wouldn't Rex remember that? He's the detective. But so so it's weird. Well, and didn't it look as if he'd set up an office there too in his hotel? Yes, yes, it did. When it the, did, yeah. when Rex calls him, it looks like he's sitting behind his desk. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's so it's um, you know, it's it's maybe not Rex always at his best in this episode, but um, it's it's. I didn't dislike it when I got to the end of it. I, I think it's a very entertaining yes. episode. Um, but it has the the feel, the New Orleans feel is not in it at all. 
Mitchell, any, any final thoughts? No, I think you have said it all. All right. So where can we find you online? What are you up to? What's going on? Uh, my website is called itsabouttv.com. You can find me uh, there every week writing about the uh, relationship between uh, classic television and American culture. Uh, you can uh, get my books. Uh, my latest book is uh, called The Electronic Mirror, and it's a collection of essays plus some new material from that come from the uh, website. So uh, when you get a chance, uh, click around and come see me. And thank you again for, for joining me for episode 37. Holy moly. That's a Hard lot of Hard to believe. Episodes. Yeah, and we're, we're getting to the end, folks. Only two left. So um, let us sign out of this episode uh, with a little bit of this. Hawaiian Punch comes in big cans, little cans, and frozen cans. In big grocery stores, little grocery stores, and frozen, frozen grocery stores. That's fairly funny. Hey, how about a nice Hawaiian Punch? Sure. Good mood of you, Tennessee. Fruit juicy Hawaiian punch. Fruit juicy Hawaiian. Wasn't that a refreshing commercial? And episode 87 ends. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Mitchell. Um, I hate to be saying goodbye to Mitchell. Mitchell has been a sort of anchor to the show for a lot of the past, um, well, the majority of the past 37 episodes, we, we you know we had a little break for some Mr. Gorblimey, talking man-to-man with Dean Lerner, but uh, Michelle has been here a while, and he's still got a few more episodes, but um, he's almost gone. But Tim is here for a while. I hope you like Tim. If you don't, shame on you. What's wrong with you? I should end this episode now. I'm kidding, of course. Well, why not? Let's end this episode. Danny Slacks at Yahoo.com. You can you can give me a shout uh, at eSuperTrain1 on Twitter, eventually SuperTrain on Facebook, um, eventually SuperTrain.blogspot.com. It's all good stuff. It's all fun stuff. We're still talking, folks. Burma Street Beat ends soon. we got a lot of Nero Wolf left. We're about halfway through Shadow Chasers. And um, be good to yourself, everyone. Be safe. Be cool. I will talk to you soon. Listen to this. Take tea.